port key me to the quidditch game apparate me through the crowds buy me some every flavored beans i don't care if avila kills me cause it's root 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 for bulgaria if they don't win that's okay cause it's one two the snitch is the only thing that really matters at the old quidditch game play ball you're listening to the quibbler podcast the harry potter book club for bandwagon fans boys I don't want you betting. That's all your savings. Your mother... Don't be a spoil sport, Arthur. They're old enough to know what they want. You reckon Ireland will win, but Crom will get the snitch? Not a chance, boys. Not a chance. I'll give you excellent odds on that one. We'll add five galleons for the funny one then, shall we? I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. That was awesome. I just thought it up uh, right now. Well. No, I thought it up on train ride home. So I wish it was off the top of my head. But either way, you made it up and it was really good and funny and I loved it. I was going to go with really outdated reference to an Arizona Cardinals press conference by saying Bulgaria was who we thought they were. But then I realized that all my pop culture references are, are from like the early from the mid 2000s. Or from like the mid 2000s. No, that's from the mid 2000s. The mid 2000s. I don't know anything about any of this. It's all right. Um, but we're going to be talking about a lot of sports today. Fantasy, true. fantasy football, basically. <laughs> but literally. Yeah. So here we are. We are... All of a sudden, pretty deep into Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And yet, not that deep at all, because yet, we're not even to Hogwarts yet. Yeah, we don't get to Hogwarts until like page 180 or some shit. <laughs> okay, so that's not where we are yet. This week, we read the chapters called Bagman and Crouch and the Quidditch World Cup. This podcast will contain lots of swears and... Spoilers for this and future Harry Potter books, including, spoiler alert, Bulgaria gets the snitch, but Ireland wins. So, sorry if I just ruined a made-up sport for you. You will also hear some adult themes. This week's adult themes are power clashing, sports betting, paying stadium prices, glamping, and killer cheerleaders. So, Alex, do you want to tell us what happened this week? Yes, I do. And I'm working on more succinct summaries. So in this week's chapters... I believe in you. In this week's chapters, our heroes go to a giant field where there are a bunch of wizards. They meet Ludo Bagman, who is the head of the Department of Magical Games and Sports. Barty Crouch, who is head of the Department of International Magical Cooperation. A sports ball game is played... A surly Bulgarian catches a snitch, but the other, which is usually the only thing that matters, but the other team wins. And that's what happened in uh, this week's chapters. Okay. Too succinct? Okay. Let's try that again. In this week's chapters, Harry, Ron, Hermione, and the Weasley family, Sans Molly, arrive at a Misty Moor where the Quidditch World Cup is to be played. They arrived via Portkey. The Portkey in this case was a boot. It teleports you places. Everybody is supposed to be dressed up like muggles to keep this event on the DL as possible, but lots of magical happenings are going on anyway because wizards can't contain their excitement for the amazing Quidditch game that they are about to witness. 
we meet Ludo Bagman, the head of the Department of Magical Games and Sports, who is like the MC for this whole event. Kind of disorganized, though, being very male and letting everyone else do uh, all the work. Well, he kind of takes credit for it. Barty Crouch, he's like Percy's fantasy of himself as an older man, super straight-laced, actually following the rules by wearing a muggle suit. And who is he? He's the head of the Department of Magical... International Magical Cooperation. I keep butchering this one. There are a lot of magical departments. We meet various members of different wizarding yeah, bureaucracies. We meet, we meet all bureaucrats. of Arthur's co-workers. We do. It's like take your wizard to work day, basically. <laughs> yeah, but there's like a whole paragraph where Arthur's just naming people at different departments in the Ministry of Magic. Everybody's camping out, sort of pretending to be muggles. Everyone's wearing like weird combinations of outfits because no one knows how to dress themselves one wizard talks about his like junk a whole lot which is why he's wearing a it's like a dressing gown or something he's wearing like a ladies like a ladies nightgown i guess wizards like robes because testicle ventilation is really important to uh to their community i wish that i had Uh, never heard the the phrase testicle ventilation (laughs) i wish that we could strike that from the record of the earth we might fix that in post no uh, we're leaving, we're that, leaving in. that in harry potter and the ventilated testicles ludo bagman bets the weasleys a shit ton of money on the game they erect some tents which have a full-on apartment inside of them fast forward to the actual quidditch game the exciting part it's super crazy it's like the wizard super bowl or whatever the soccer equivalent of that is UEFA, I think? No, the actual World World Cup. Cup. It's the World Cup. (laughs) Wow, I am so Yankee. We learned that Ron has a big old man crush on Victor Crumb, who's the Bulgarian seeker, but he also wants Ireland to win, kind of, because I don't, they ran into Seamus Finnegan, who's super pro-Ireland, and I guess it's, I don't know, geographical proximity. Yeah, they're all rooting for Ireland. British Isles. There's a display from the mascots. The Irish team brings a ton of leprechauns that make, like, aerial designs. So basically, a better version of Lady Gaga's drones from this year's Super Bowl. And they drop leprechaun gold into everyone's seats and people get psyched. But psych, it's fool's gold. We learn that later. Um, And there's Vila, who are these temptresses that make you want to jump from the sky to impress them. The match is, it's an exciting match. Ireland has a great side of chasers, but Bulgaria has Victor Crumb, who's like the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. Amazing seeker, 18, phenomenal talent, good speed, great niche awareness. I don't know what the exact sports terms would be uh, in this case. Anyway, after a very raucous game and a lot of injuries, as happens in these books and Quidditch in particular, Victor Crumb catches the snitch, but Ireland wins the game because reasons, and the Weasleys won their bet because they bet on that most improbable of outcomes. And after a kind of all-over-the-place couple chapters and an all-over-the-place summary, that's where we are this week. I don't, did I miss anything of note? Like, there's just a lot of, like... No, I don't think so. It's just a lot of shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have a thing, the place that we wanted to start, but I just have to quick jump in. Yeah. 
Do you think the Weasleys fixed the match? They bet all their money <laughs> on potentially the most improbable outcome, and then it happened. Yeah, and, and by our wizarding exchange rate, it's like thousands of dollars when their family is like poor Very as fuck. poor. Yeah. And it's all of their savings. Their father says that. But he doesn't do a ton to try to stop them from <laughs> betting their whole savings. But seriously, the Weasleys get either bonkers lucky or more likely considering fred and george's track record they straight up committed like gigantic magical what is it called fraud magifraud i don't know no but i mean is that what fantastical no 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 i'm just asking i don't know what it would be no i'm asking if you fixed a game what crime is that i don't know that's like i should probably know this but i don't it's match fixing you're not supposed to do that anyway so they basically commit like, I think enormous magical fraud and fix it somehow. Well, it's just a theory. There's no proof. There's no proof except that it's the Weasleys and almost never is the innocent explanation the correct If they somehow fix the match, but the head of the Department of Magical Games and Sports was not able to fix the match. Ludo Bagman is an idiot. Who is betting on everything left and right. Yeah. He and seems... has every incentive to fix the match. It's true. Which is how I guess we know that uh, Ludo is actually clean. Because because he, he, he loses in spectacular match. fashion, he but does. Uh, I did think that it's a conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy theory. It does seem nuts to make a bet like that, but and then have it work out. Wizards aren't super logical, also, or they're just cheating. So they went to Crumb and they're like, "Yo, catch the snitch when you're down by more than 150 points." And Crumb is like, "Yeah, you'd have to have Crumb in on that to fix the match." I know, so maybe they actually like, seeker, bribed him. Actually, Seekers would have this huge incentive to bribe Seekers. Yeah. They're like, because they control when the game ends. Right. So they probably bribed him. I don't know with what. This probably doesn't hold water. <laughs> it's just like, it's the Weasleys, so like, I'm suspicious. They're sketchy. S- they're delightful, but they are sketchy. So these chapters are just fucking insane. Everything is like turned up to 11. Everything that you thought you liked about Quidditch, like, here is it all. You like Quidditch, here is the most of Quidditch. Yo, dog, I heard you like Quidditch, so I put some Quidditch in your Quidditch so you could watch Quidditch well. (laughs) Right. People play Quidditch, I don't know. It's just, and like, there's this huge, colorful, totally insane, hilarious, but incredibly unnecessary, just parade of nonsense this is like harry potter entering its baroque period yeah goblet of fire is the maximalist harry potter book it is it's just everything dripping with like fucking i don't know like gargoyles and sconces and shit yeah everything is taken to the max did you think dobby was cool now we got two house elves how about that baby dragon oh shit now there's three like big ass dragons um magical creatures yeah, it's like you thought Quidditch was good. Tons more what if spells. It was yeah, not Quidditch, but something so much fucking crazier. Death tournament. You at thought Hogwarts. Hogwarts was interesting. Here's three. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> Harry kind of experiences that in this chapter because he's like, man, I never thought about the fact that there were wizards all over the world. I was just getting used to the fact that people in England uh, somehow do magic. Do magic, and he's never seen a magic baby before. Yeah. Or any like magical children. It's like it's like when you've been going to college for a while 
And then you like leave the campus area and go to Walmart and there are like youths. And you're like, oh, fuck, I forgot that not everybody was older than 18 and younger (laughs) than 25. Um, So Harry is Harry is having that that experience in a weird way. And so are we the readers. But also, I feel like correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like when this book came out, Harry Potter mania was just starting to like hit. It was like cresting. Yeah. Yeah. Not its apex. Because that, like, it never really came down from that. But this is the book, well, this is the first book I can explicitly remember coming out and it being in the news. And, and people, people, like, waited in line and had all-night parties. And... and boy, did it ever, like, it's the Harry Potteriest Harry Potter book it in really a is. lot of ways. It's actually, I mean, a thing that's interesting about this chapter is it's so fun. Like, it's not tight. No. it's It's a pretty strangely put together full of like delightful but completely extraneous details and this whole book like we're gonna talk a lot more about the plot machinations in this book but like it is pretty ill fit together overall but it's all so fucking insane that like kind of who cares (laughs) like the red herring in this book is so totally nuts that you have to go back and start from the beginning. And you're like, well, never mind. How could I have ever followed this thread? This is crazy. <laughs> so I love, love, love the Quidditch World Cup chapter. But yeah, it's like, wow, J.K. Rowling just did. She thought of every funny thing she could possibly envision happening with a gathering of wizards. And then she didn't edit. She just put <laughs> them all in. It feels like by far the least edited Harry Potter book. Yeah. It seems like a lot of darlings were out there to get killed that did not but get also, killed. But also, yeah, this is when... I feel like this is the first Harry Potter book that came out amid Harry Potter mania. So, like, no one was gonna... Everyone was like, just hit me that pure... Like, give me the pure shit, you yeah, know? Yeah, no. Like, Nobody cared it, like, that it uncut, was, like, well-constructed. You know? I, I just I just need that hit. And as a result, it is crazy fun. <laughs> like, the first half is crazy fun, and then the last, like, little bit is incredibly um, devastating. So do we need the Quidditch World Cup? I think so. For the plot. Yeah, I mean, you meet important characters... Um, you, I think it sets up the kind of widening of the magical world really well. Yeah, in a way that's not so dire all at once. Well, not even just dire, but like the Triwizard Tournament, I don't think you could introduce the existence of these other international magical schools. It would feel really kind of like shoehorned in to just randomly introduce the other two magical schools schools, Beaubaton and Durmstrang, without having first kind of set the scene. You know what I mean? It does kind of plant the seeds of the main plot of the book. Right. And the other thing it does is it gives her cover to have no Quidditch in the rest of the book. Yes, So it's like, here's all the Quidditch at the (laughs) very beginning. (laughs) You know, she just like packs it all in because very soon we're going to find out that there's no Hogwarts Quidditch this year. And then Quidditch kind of takes a break. It's just for, for a the while. Rest of the series. Yeah, there's not a Quidditch ton of Quidditch. Is sort of important in book six, but with Ron's character development. Yeah, and nobody has time for Quidditch in book seven. Well, no, because the world's falling apart. It would be literal murder ball. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think it's the chapters are necessary to the plot. Not every detail is necessary to the plot, and a lot of them are to- like I said, they're totally great, but they're all the fuck over the place. Yeah. <laughs> like there's like. 
a full half page devoted to that wizard baby, like, exploding a slug. Kevin. Which rules, but it's like... Come on, Kevin. It's just a lot of space. Come on, Kevin. So that being said, because just like literally everything possible is crammed into these two chapters, we thought we'd come back to the idea of a pensieve and just like run through some... Dropping some silvery thoughts into a basin of knowledge. Yes, that is, yes, correct. Yeah, a Um, stopped up knowledge sink. So the first thing I wanted to call out is that there's this really funny scene where Arthur Weasley is talking to some other bureaucrat, I forget who, and they're having this conversation about how they have to go talk to like, I think it's Ali Bashir. Ali Bashir, yeah. Who's trying to sell illegal magic carpets. He wants to sell magic carpets in In England. England. But and there's an embargo. Arthur has written an embargo on them into the law, which... Did Arthur write yes. that? Okay. Mm-hmm. It's his law, I think. No, anyway, no, no, I don't, I don't think, think so. Because so. it like, it was, they've been embargoed for like decades because right. Barty Crouch talks about having one as a kid. I don't think that's Arthur's law, but he enforces it. Yes. But there's this weird part where Arthur's like, well, carpets are um, like officially designated as muggle objects, so you can't enchant them. And it's like, what the fuck is a broom, you guys? <laughs> muggles don't like what muggles don't fly on brooms so i don't know it's just like a funny another kind of funny example of their like bizarrely arcane like regulatory state well i have a theory here and that's that wizards are trying to protect the british broom making industry the oh, british yeah. magical broom industry wizards are insanely protectionist there's no good reason to embargo Flying carpets, which seem, if anything, to be a better yeah. option for transportation. Significantly more practical. Uh, yeah, because they said people, what they just say, uh, Bashir's case is that it'd make a great family vehicle. You can put more shit on. You can actually transport belongings. On, yeah, on, on a carpet as opposed to like a Strapping long rod, uh, you know, like you're going to put like a, like a bag like a cartoon hobo on your broomstick it's just not as <laughs> yeah you're gonna turn into a bindle so it's a bindle stick right you know stick, uh, yeah. well so we're gonna do a whole extra like mini episode about wizarding economics because there's a lot in these chapters yeah about money about money so i don't we just we're not gonna be able to get to all of it and get to everything else so look for a a whole separate wizarding economics episode, which is going to be really fun and we're super excited to share. But so I think we'll stop talking about money for the most part. And protectionism, wizard trade law. Yeah, wizard trade law. (laughs) And yeah, like currency manipulation and shit. So another thing that's funny and kind of exciting is that in that scene where the Weasley twins are making their bet with Ludo Bagman, they say, oh, and we'll throw in a fake wand. And Ludo is totally amazed by this wand. He's like, this is the most realistic one I've ever seen. It turns into a rubber chicken and it just utterly delights him. And he's like, I'd pay five galleons for this. Which is just a great moment because it's this like kind of fun like proof point for their designs. They're geniuses. (laughs) Also an actual wand costs seven galleons. I know. So a fake one costing five galleons is dumb. (laughs) But... That aside, we are on the economics episode going to talk a lot about the cost of wands. So putting that aside, the fact that they just fucking tinkered in their bedroom and made this thing that like could be on the market tomorrow, they're just really, really good at this. And I was really proud of them. And I like (laughs) how like Ludo is just this like big kid. He's like, hell yeah, 
I will pay for that joke <laughs> wand. This shit turns into a chicken and I love it. <laughs> so I like that. That's a nice moment. One thing I like about these chapters is it's this extended parody of camping because all the wizards are comically roughing it, even though they're not. They're sort of, in our adult themes, they're kind of glamping. They've all brought these shabby tents, but then but then they've enchanted them to have fully equipped apartments inside, except, I guess, without running water, because they have to go to a faucet to pick up water. I don't know. I actually think there are taps inside the tents, but that going out to, like, fill up a pail of water just seems like a fun, like, worky, like, roughing it thing. Well, yeah, because they also have stoves, but they all cook (laughs) on campfires. Right. (laughs) It's It's just, like, fun. So, and then you have wizards trying to light matches very skeptically and then sort of, like, surreptitiously lighting a fire with their wands. And it's all under the guise of, like, anti-muggle security, but clearly they don't need to be that sly about it. And they aren't. No. But it is, like, a funny parody of muggle camping because it's also, like, camping is essentially, like, unnecessary hardship right yeah that's that's the word those are the words i was looking for (laughs) yeah the whole point of camping is to leave the modern comforts of the homes that most of us have and go live this like rustic and more challenging and more uncomfortable existence for like three days and be really fucking cold and like sleep on the ground and cook on like a propane stove if you're lucky or just a fucking fire and like that's so first of all that's so white i love camping though no it's he fun. said and they're in having, the most white way possible i love camping but <laughs> i mean and they're having fun like that's the thing the wizards get it but i think it is and i don't think it's a mean parody i just think it's like we do this weird thing where we go far away from all of the things that the last, like, several centuries have given us to make our lives good, and we just, like, fucking sit in the forest. <laughs> I mean, camping's great. I just think this is a funny take on it. Right, but they keep, it's funny how they keep sliding into using magic, like sneaking looks at your smartphone or your Game Boy or whatever. Yeah, it's like when we go camping and, like, post Instagrams. Yeah. It's like, okay, <laughs> that's not real. <laughs> And Arthur loves using his hands. Yeah, I actually love Arthur in these scenes. First of all, I love that he's, like, cosplaying as a muggle. Yeah. Like, he is really, really into, like, the full kind of, like, muggle shtick. Yeah. It reminds me of, like, the thing I thought of was, like, a historical reenactor. It's like when, like, people who reenact the Civil War, like, really want to eat hardtack. Like, they're really excited about the, like, all the genuine details and stuff. And so Arthur Weasley refuses to just light the fire with his wand. And I love the scene where they come back to the campsite and they're like, oh, fuck, there's still no fire. And the one of the twins is like, dad's having fun with matches. And it's just the ground <laughs> is like littered with matches. And he's just like gleefully like fucking it up. And Hermione finally has to be like, would you give me that? I will show <laughs> you. It is not that hard. Okay, yeah, why can't, it's like every wizard is a character from like the before on an as seen on TV. 
like an infomercial when they like hilariously like you like the pan like flies, flies out of their hand yeah. or like uh or like that friends episode where joey is in an infomercial for like a spout that you put on milk <laughs> and there's all these scenes of him just like ripping milk cartons open well and an example of that is how they dress yes so for some reason wizards have wizards have why are they dressed so crazy? I, I, there's no other way to put it. I, they're wearing these like crazy mishmashes of muggle clothes. Have they never seen a muggle? They have to go to the GD train station. Yeah, I don't understand that at all. Like, I get that these are not your everyday clothes, but like you've seen clothes, right? right. Well, the other thing that's confusing is a lot of wizard children dress in like regular clothes outside of school so like all the kids have clothes and the grown-ups are like what if i put this like opera outfit um or like what if i put a tuxedo top on and then like galoshes <laughs> like and I, you're just like you know that looks weird i don't care how unmuggle you are look at yourself it's crazy i get that they live in a world apart but i mean even like the Hasidic community in New York, if for some reason they had to wear like goy clothes. They had to like go undercover as mm -hmm. hipsters. They could like, pe they would be able to piece that together. It's not what they wear for religious reasons, but they would know what to get. They could go to Target and get like a t-shirt and jeans. Well, there's even this part where... It's like it, the same guy that's talking about his nuts. <laughs> it's like muggles wear them. I got it in a muggle shop. And it's like, okay, so girl, you've been to a muggle shop. <laughs> so presumably you looked around your damn self and saw what people were wearing. It's not that hard. It's so funny. It's hilarious. But it's very. It's very funny. Yeah, it doesn't quite. Uh, and even Barney quibble. Crouch, it's like Harry has this whole line about how Barney Crouch like took the advice or took the instructions to dress like a muggle like to the letter. But he's still vastly inappropriately dressed. Like he's in like a pinstripe suit at a campground for sports. So even <laughs> Barney Crouch, who has like his outfit, like makes sense as an outfit. But it's totally like if the muggle if Mr. Roberts, who, run the camp, who runs the campground, saw Barty Crouch, he would be like, you're a little overdressed, mate. So even the person who gets it, like, perfect in terms of how an outfit is constructed is still just, like, totally out of place. Uh, not really. As, like, a politician at the... Or a high-ranking government official... But that doesn't at, matter like, the because... the Super Bowl would be wearing... But that's not why they're trying to dress up. They're right. trying to All be right. inconspicuous. If a muggle saw him at, at a, a campground camp oh, in a right. three-piece suit, he's incredible. He's maybe more conspicuous because the rest of them, you might be like, oh, it's Burning Man. He should just be wearing, like, a Panama hat and... Uh, yeah. The, <laughs> like, the rest of them might just be fucking hippies or something. Yeah. He is the one that probably looks the most out of place. Huh. Excellent point. So going back to Mr. Roberts. Yes. Um, they have all this anti-muggle security, which just like self-evidently doesn't work. Right. Because everyone is just sending up like purple sparks and decorating their tents in insane ways with uh, the decoration descriptions are really funny. They've they got are. like live peacocks and... Uh, well, so as a result of being terrible <laughs> at this anti-muggle stuff, 
they end up having to obliviate Mr. Roberts like over and over and over again. And that's just like, that cannot be good for him. We know that memory charms can do, can damage your brain because Bertha Jorkins is a victim of a powerful memory charm. And she seems to develop some like cognitive impairments. So she's so cognitively impaired that Ludo Bagman assumes that it's normal that she hasn't been back from Albania yet because she might have just gone to Australia by accident. And it's like, (laughs) that's not something you guys wanted to like, I don't know, maybe provide her with some assistance because that's a lot of, that's very dotty. But so like the whole time I'm like, this is abusive toward Mr. Roberts. Like it's really fucked up behavior. They're basically, I think, giving him like concussions every like five minutes. There's also an ethical question of... I guess they're protecting him from himself, from knowledge of the magical community, but they're also stealing a week of his life, basically, by constantly blasting his memory and, like, giving him fake ones. I know. It's, like, the worst version of gaslighting possible. Right. And he's gonna... The weird thing is, he's gonna, like, go home at the end of the weekend and be like, why do I have $400,000 nobody camped this weekend? (laughs) And he's going to get worried that he's been in some kind of fucked up, I don't know, like deal gone wrong and he's been hit on the head because he's going to be like, I have so much goddamn money and I'm running a campground. It's like a film noir. I know. But he can't remember. He just like shows that his pockets are just like lined with cash and he's like, I have no idea where I got any of this. And then he spends the rest of his life like terrified that some mobster is going to show up (laughs) and be like, I came to your campground one time and like sold you drugs or whatever. And I don't know. I'm not good at um, mob movies, obviously. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like he's going to go home with like so much fucking money and not know why at all. No, I hear you. It reminds me of the Men in Black Neuralizers where they're zapping people's memories constantly. Yeah. So they don't know that aliens exist. But it's bad for them. I don't know about it. Is it bad for them? In I don't the think it's black? bad for them. In okay, black. this seems but like it's, it's a, bad for them. Ethically, though, the, there's a question of should you be erasing people's memories? Right, like, do you have a right to people's memories? Yeah. And like, yeah, that's not your property and that's not your decision to manipulate. Yeah, I think if it was revealed that the government was erasing people's minds oh to my hide God. really anything, that's, people would be uh, rightfully angry. Well, no, we would overthrow the government. I mean, that would be a war. Maybe that's what the Covifi tweets about. Oh my god. That's too CIA topical. like erased Trump's mind at that moment. Yeah, that was when the Obliviate charm took hold and then he just woke up at his keyboard. <laughs> Didn't even know there was a tweet to take down. <laughs> um so yeah, that's had that's to get had to get Covifi in there. I mean, obviously what happens to Mr. Roberts later on is gonna be way worse, but even this, I'm just like you know, because Oh like, shit, I forgot about that. Well, yeah, it's going to get really horrible for him. He becomes a straight-up hate crime victim. He does. But the thing that's weird is, like, that's the bad guys. Like, that's a bad thing to do to Muggles. But all the rest of them are acting like this is an okay thing to do to Muggles. And it's really not okay. Like, Arthur Weasley is like, oh, I just got to erase this memory. And it's like, bro, you're giving him, like, brain damage. Yeah. Not good. Not cool, guys. Not great. Is that the Pensieve? Did we put everything in the pen seed that you need to go there? Great. It is. Swirling around. Yep, there's a place for all our thoughts. So let's talk about Lido Bagman. 
Ludo Bagman was easily the most noticeable person Harry had seen so far, even including old Archie in his flowered nightdress. He was wearing long Quidditch robes in thick horizontal stripes of bright yellow and black. An enormous picture of a wasp was splashed across his chest. He had the look of a powerfully built man gone slightly to seed. The robes were stretched tightly across a large belly he surely had not had in the days when he had played Quidditch for England. His nose was squashed, probably broken by a stray bludger, Harry thought, but his round blue eyes, short blonde hair and rosy complexion made him look like a very overgrown schoolboy. Ahoy! There! Bagman called happily. He was walking as though he had springs attached to the balls of his feet, and was plainly in a state of wild excitement. Arthur, old man, he puffed as he reached the campfire. What a day, eh? What a day! Could we have asked for more perfect weather, a cloudless night coming, and hardly a hiccup in the arrangements? Not much for me to do. Behind him a group of haggard-looking ministry wizards rushed past, pointing at the distant evidence of some sort of magical fire that was sending violet sparks twenty feet into the air. Who is, I think we both agree, sort of an ersatz Gildoy Lockhart, but not as sinister. He's kind of this blowhard who is yeah. kind of mindlessly careening through his responsibilities and not noticing the Kind consequences of carnage of his in his in his wake and he has a really well, high opinion like i he's not quite as vain as no, gilderoy but he, but he i don't know he really has really similar affect i yeah. think to the point that ludo annoys me as a character because you know what it's like you know the disney movie robin hood yes the animated right yeah yeah and you know how it's literally all the same animals like the same drawn animals as the jungle book (laughs) and you're just like you guys just didn't draw a new bear (laughs) like you just took this old bear and you just put him in a different movie and so all of a sudden you've got like the character blue playing the character of little john and i have to shout out lindy west's book shrill which made that joke before me so i don't want to take credit for lindy's great work but really like so that's what this reminds me of yeah um, that's a great book, by the way, guys. That What it reminds me of is she, like, wrote Gilderoy, and she was like, okay, I need another kind of, like, fatuous, irritating blonde. Let's just put Gilderoy in there, like, change a couple details, and call him Ludo Bagman. There's a few, like, differences. He does, she right, does she nail... she changed a couple details. Right, she does nail the kind of evuncular aging jock. She does, Yes. That is true. You know, like, the, who does, like, the color commentary on, like, for the playoffs, you know? Right. Uh, <laughs> he's like, uh, he's yeah. like Barkley or whatever. And he's got the look where he's, like... Including a gambling problem. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> That's true. I don't know. Maybe he's not with as the, similar with, to Goldroy. The pot, you know, he's got the pot belly and uh, he's got, like, slight, even though he's still, like, strapping and... Uh, right. I don't know. And, and the description of him is in his enthusiasm is actually i guess that's how he's not at all like gilderoy the first time i read the book i was like oh this is just like a gilderoy retread but he has like his enthusiasm for everything is very not gilderoy because gilderoy is only enthusiastic about his own deal but bagman loves the fake wand he's super psyched about the game and that everybody's having like a good time 
And he's just, you know, he's got, he's infectious. Yeah, but I feel like they're kind of similar, like, cruise directors. It's just, like, kind of coming from a different place. But, like, you know, Gilder is the one that, like, sets up the dueling club. And he's, like, Ludo is less sinister. But they just, like, really remind me of each other enough Mm. that it kind of bugs me. Yeah, it does. It feels a bit like a retread. Yeah, it feels, it kind of feels like a lazy, like, like I said, what's that meme where it's like, can I copy your homework? And then it's like, just change a free, few details so they don't know you did. And I don't know. There's like a gajillion of those memes. That's kind of what this reminds right, me of. It right. also reminds me of Blue playing King John. No, well, Little John. It's like, yeah, it's the Baroque Harry Potter. Did you like Gilderoy Lockhart? Here's more Here's Gilderoy. sports Gilderoy. <laughs> yeah. That's true. So speaking of sports Gilderoy, apparently betting is fine. There's crazy magical laws about everything, but the head... Of the sports commission, um, this is like this is like worse than the International Olympic Committee or like oh, FIFA. It is so self evidently corrupt. This is this should be completely he illegal. Is in charge of Quidditch, the, yeah, the Quidditch commissioner can't be is openly betting with children oh on God, the, the outcome like, of the match. The Weasley twins are like 16. I, we told Pete Rose he could never play, ba- like be around baseball again for gambling on games. I know. You know, like, uh, yeah, it's they, a very I, different, you know, I don't know much about like British sporting culture, but is gambling less of a thing over there well, I feel or... like there's a huge difference between like decriminalized or legal gambling right. and this because right, no. it's not just that but I mean people in, a, are in gambling. America it's like the worst thing you can do if you were involved in like the sport yeah like act if you're an active participant that is like no this would be the the biggest scandal in the history of sports in America yeah it's just Why like is this? he takes some he takes some witch's eel farm away. I love that line. Somebody's like, oh, she sold me half the shares in her eel farm. And I just wanted to be like, come again? She bet the shares, yeah, that the match would go a week. So she lost all her eels. Damn. So Ludo should have just used the eel shares to comp to like make up for his other like lost bets. I don't know. How don't know. valuable are eels? I, I don't know what they're used for. They could be they're used for potions. anything. Yeah. They're definitely a potion ingredient. I don't know. Eel uh, eel husbandry, I'm not <laughs> super familiar with. No, me neither. Uh, yeah, the, the betting, the sports betting is crazy. Well, the other thing we learn from Ludo is that he is Bertha Jorkin's boss. Yes. Who we know, but he doesn't know, dramatic irony, is dead, murdered by Voldy. And he just like isn't that chuffed. That she has been gone for like an extra two months. Like there's no fucking missing persons report out for Bertha Jorkins. He is at minimum hilariously incompetent. Bad boss. Bad boss. Wizards are bad at HR in general though. So. Yeah but this is like a pretty dark like extent to that. Whatever it's all dark. They keep hiring Evil people. I mean, Dumbledore would clearly lose a professor for months. That's true. And be that like, well, it's a mystery. Yeah. Harry, maybe solve it for me? Yeah. Harry, go figure this shit out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. While you're at it, you want to battle Voldemort? He's there. <laughs> so, sorry, switching gears. Maybe this should have gone in the pensive, but I thought it was really curious. It's weird to me that wizard 
culture aligns with like muggle nation states. Yeah, there's a lot of wizard nationalism in these chapters. Uh, is it my eyes or has everything gone green? said Ron. It wasn't just Ron's eyes. They had walked into a patch of tents that were all covered with a thick growth of shamrocks, so that it looked as though small, ugly-shaped hillocks had sprouted out of the earth. Grinning faces could be seen under those that had their flaps open. Then, from beneath them, they heard their names. Harry! Ron! Hermione! It was Seamus Finnegan, their fellow griffin of fourth year. He was sitting in front of his own shamrock-covered tent with a sandy-haired woman who had to be his mother and his best friend Dean Thomas, also of Gryffindor. "'Like the decorations?' said Seamus, grinning. "'The Ministry's not too happy.' "'Ach, why shouldn't we show our colours?' said Mrs. Finnegan. "'You should see what the Bulgarians have got dangling all over their tents. You'll be supporting Ireland, of course,' she added, eyeing Harry, Ron and Hermione beadily. When they had assured her that they were indeed supporting Ireland, they set off again, though, as Ron said, like we'd say anything else surrounded by that lot. I wonder what the Bulgarians have got dangling all over their tents, said Hermione. Let's go and have a look, said Harry, pointing to a large patch of tents upfield, where the Bulgarian flag, white, green and red, was fluttering in the breeze. And... It's just like, well, it just, I don't... It kind of surprises me, based on what we know about the history of wizard-muggle relations, that right. wizards would align themselves so closely with, like, muggle like governance structures. Especially since they're clearly not integrated enough to know how to, like, put on pants. <laughs> right. No, I mean, they're clearly not... They don't identify with the social mores of any of these countries, but they still have this crazy, like, nationalist bent. Right. And there's so few wizards that it's just, like, it kind of surprises me that they don't have one, like, centralized wizarding government. I guess it's not so few, because... But it's still like... Ah. I mean, I think there's like a couple hundred thousand of them. And well, I mean, the Quidditch Stadium itself seats a hundred thousand. So right. there must and be like... and we're given to understand that like most wizards are there. Like most or just like a... Like, I think a it's percentage. More like, I think it's more like Iceland where it's like they have a game and like, tw- like 20% maybe okay, shows even up. Then, that's, even that's a lot. That's a yeah. really small population mm-hmm. overall. Like that's a small city. No, I don't know. I don't know why they've developed these national affinities when they're basically well, and they separate. even have these like interesting national alignments, like analogous to the Muggle world. It's weird that they use the same flags. Yeah, because it's like, what flag? What are you like paying right. homage to? Or when did American wizards become? American were they subject to the British Ministry of Magic prior to 1776? Yeah, I think and that. And then they broke isn't off that and formed. Kind of in um, Fantastic Beasts. Uh, you know, like, it wasn't super vaguely. They have in Fantastic Beasts. They have their own magical congress, but I don't know if there was like a magical declaration of independence, right? Uh, or Bulgaria. What this book is taking place in 1994. So it's like so very, very recently. Bulgaria three years. Yeah, Bulgaria is like three years removed from its independence from the soviet union 
Right, and so all of a sudden wizards are like super Bulgarian nationalists because were they were they Soviet wizards before? <laughs> the Soviet communist wizards. Yeah, were there Soviet wizards and now there's not Soviet wizards? I don't know. It doesn't... Okay, I get that it's a kid's book and like kids know about countries and it makes more sense that way, but that's not what we're doing here. Um, yeah, we are, yeah here we are here to overanalyze. We're here to quibble. We are here to quibble. The quibbler came here to quibble. And yeah, it's a big quibble of mine that they have these totally arbitrary like alignments with these totally arbitrary muggle borders and nation states and governments. It is the flag thing especially doesn't make sense to me. Because like those are the flags of the muggle government, which they have no interactions with whatsoever. Like they're not even subject to muggle law. Is it possible that Rowling is making a point about like European unity or like world unity in that the only time this seems to matter is like in sporting events. So it's this weird, they're almost like pantomiming nationalism. And then it, when it's over, they all go back to being wizards. Like, yeah, that's possible. I, I, I don't know. There's this, uh, I, I've, I've read like, analysis of the world cup where it's like this is like the last venue in which it's like strictly appropriate to be nationalist and it's this like area that you you funnel those energies into and then you're globalist the rest of the time which that's actually not true as we've learned well, uh, you know national affinities are I, I don't know is is she saying that like these identities are kind of like arbitrary and funny because they are all wizards but now they're like this is like the the sports team they like, basically. Yeah, maybe. I, don't I know. mean, and the other probably thing is, not. I almost well, certainly not. But. No, because I think that's actually like an interesting question of like imagined communities because their affinity for those countries. You're right. That might actually just be a fandom. But, like they know, might not consider themselves Bulgarian. They just consider themselves fans of like Bulgarian Quidditch. No, you know that actually doesn't work. Because these countries are political entities. Because right. the Bulgarian there's well, a Bulgarian minister of magic. There's an but English minister, British minister of magic. But then later on, the other thing that's weird is that when we do meet Beaubaton and Durmstrang, they're like not coded as being from a particular country. Like Beaubaton is clearly French, but they never say they come from France. Right. And Durmstrang is just like from the rugged north. <laughs> like, you know, Crum is Bulgarian. Karkarov, we don't know. Like... Right now we have this like Eastern European right. sounding names. So like right now we have this like really specific, like really clearly delineated like wizard nations, and then later on it's just like oh maybe they're all French, <laughs> but like they're not French, right? So I don't know. It's just like that's also weirdly inconsistent. Like why not just make Durmstrang in Bulgaria? But it's not, and they never, they're always talking about, like, I don't know, they're, like, wearing fur. It must be cold where they're from. It's like, don't you know nations? Also, just ask. Yeah, well, that's true, but they don't, like, really <laughs> talk to each other. But, yeah, like, all the Beaubaton girls have, like, French accents, but are they from France? We're never told. I, I don't know. And certainly they don't come, like, under the French flag. No. You know? They're not singing fucking, what's the... Um, French national. Marseillaise. They're not like, they don't like get out of their giant chariot singing like Le Marseille, Le Marseille. Yeah. So, I don't know, it's weird. Okay, that's done. I guess let's talk about the game itself. Yeah. Uh, 
the Quidditch game was good. It was crazy. The thing that's funny to me is it's like a parody of... Maybe not all these things are parodies, but it's like this really kind Commentary of... Commentary or... It's like this really funny version of like the Super Bowl where the game is like by far the least interesting thing happening. <laughs> like it's all about the crazy spectacle. And the, yeah, the, the salespeople and the ads. It's really corporate, which kind of surprises me. Except what's funny is where in the Super Bowl, it's like Chase and like Coca-Cola and like, you know, Fidelity, all these like giant brands they're literally advertising like mom and pop stores in Hogsmeade. Beans. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, or like, you know, Madam Malkins. I don't think it's that, but there is like a wizard like clothier. No, it's indifferent. No, that would seem to me like it was more like a high-end fashion label because it was oh, like maybe. London, Paris, New York. Hogsmeade. You know, Hogsmeade. <laughs> uh, I guess that's fair. Anyway, it is this like hilarious scene where the game is there and like there are big fans of the game but if you're not a big fan of Quidditch like there's still a gajillion things for you to participate in. It also gets very meta in that J.K. Rowling answers her critics about the snitch being the only thing that matters by having Crumb catch the snitch and still lose. So she's like see? She's like god damn it it does work. It can happen although as we discussed before Quidditch is an extended troll or parody of sports ball in that it doesn't make sense. It's not meant to make sense. And she actually thought it up after having like a fight with an ex-boyfriend. Who wanted sports to make sense, yeah. <laughs> among other things. And I don't think that's knew, what their fight was about. No, but she specifically knew this would be infuriating. So in grand fashion, yes, Crumb catches a snitch, but it is a terrible tactical decision for him to do so. Well, they like, sort of justify it as he knows that Ireland is so far ahead that they're never going to catch up. But that doesn't make any sense because they would have to make like two, two or goals. three goals. It's like two or three scores. I think Crumb was clearly being petulant. He's like an emotional player and he throws the game basically because he's feeling moody. Right. He's like bored. Is my, is my interpretation of it. Or he isn't a team player because he wants to catch the snitch. That's the only thing that matters to him, not winning the game. And he doesn't want to be embarrassed because the other sneaker, who clearly isn't as good as him, catches the snitch first. Tough game, though, for Bulgaria. When Victor is, like, screaming toward the the snitch with, like, blood, like, flying off his face, it is so badass. <laughs> I like that Hermione is kind of into him at that moment. There's, like, this really little moment where Hermione is like, oh, he's quite brave, isn't he? And you're like, dang, girl, yeah. just you wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tough breaks for Bulgaria. They have the best player in the world. But the other side is just like a super team, man. It's like Golden State and the Cavaliers right now. It's literally what's happening right now. Crumb is LeBron. No one better in the world at Quidditch. But the Golden State Chasers. Yeah, he just can't compete. Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, um, Clay Thompson can't compete, man. They're just draining too many buckets. LeBron scored a triple-double. Still lost by like 20 points. Right, and Crumb caught the snitch. You know? Still lost by like 20 points. So... The other thing that's interesting is Quidditch is fucking old. Yeah, this we is find the out four, it, what is it? It's the 422nd World Cup, but so if they're played every four years, 
this sport is like more than 1600 years old. She did write a side history, like Quidditch through the ages, which I think gets into some of that. It's like an ancient sport. Right. That's really interesting to me. Maybe that's why it's so arcane and nonsense. And insane, because they're like, this was actually invented for ceremonial purposes that have been lost to history. Now we, right. now this nation is just worth 150 points. Well, it's like how arbitrarily a marathon <laughs> is the distance from Athens oh. to marathon. And we're just like still doing 26.2. And it's like arbitrary. But wow, it's that, like if... Yeah, I like that. I hadn't thought about that. But it's like if every single rule were like that specific and nonsense and you were you, you don't want to update that nope they don't nope. they want to play it exactly it's the way thought they thought up it by medieval wizards in like 480 i know this is like straight up from the dark ages it is it is an ancient ancient sport and that is probably why it fucking sucks pretty amazing though that they've had an organized world like sporting consortium to put this on for like 1500 years yeah that's really interesting you're right so that's some weird shit. I want to talk about the Vila. Okay. Which... The murder cheerleaders. The murder cheerleaders. The Vila had started to dance, and Harry's mind had gone completely and blissfully blank. All that mattered in the world was that he kept watching the Vila, because if they stopped dancing, terrible things would happen. As the Vila danced faster and faster, wild, half-formed thoughts started chasing through Harry's day's mind. He wanted to do something very impressive right now. Jumping from the box into the stadium seemed a good idea. But would it be good enough? Harry, what are you doing? said Hermione's voice from a long way off. The music stopped. Harry blinked. He was standing up, and one of his legs was resting on the wall of the box. Next to him, Ron was frozen in an attitude that looked as though he were about to dive from a springboard. Angry yells were filling the stadium. The crowd didn't want the Vila to go. Harry was with them. He would, of course, be supporting Bulgaria. And he wondered vaguely why he had a large green shamrock pinned to his chest. Ron, meanwhile, was absent-mindedly shredding the shamrocks on his hat. Mr. Weasley, smiling slightly, leaned over to Ron and tugged the hat out of his hands. You'll be wanting that, he said. Once Ireland have had their say. <gasps> said Ron, staring open-mouthed at the Vila, who had now lined up along one side of the field. Hermione made a loud, tutting noise. She reached up and pulled Harry back into his seat. Honestly, she said. So a couple of things. The leprechauns, like, they're kind of rude. They, like, we were given to believe they form the shape of, like, a middle finger... Their gold is fake. Like, it's, they're kind of sassy. The Vilas are so unbelievably dangerous <laughs> that I cannot fucking believe they are allowed in the stadium. They lure men to their death. That is right. It's like you get that it's like, oh, the siren myth. The second half of the siren myth is everybody dies. <laughs> like, they lure men to crash against the rugged rocks and fall out of their fucking boats and die. And they they, they like went the over the waves ref. waves run red. They went over the ref briefly. Well, but there's that moment. So they, they start dancing. Mm -hmm. Harry's mind goes blank. And then when he comes to, he is about to jump off of the state, like out of the top box. Like he would die. I know. They're going to like make a mass killing. It is. It's like... It, 
it's going there all these men are like about to like commit mass suicide because they've been enchanted by murderesses and then they almost start a riot and then they fucking turn into terrifying birds so that's like scary but it's also really sexist I mean basically the reason that trope exists is to like tell men that all women are treacherous and the more appealing the more likely they are to fuck your shit up and that they control your urges right exactly that women are at fault for men's inability to control themselves that they are temptresses and seductresses and like you as a man have no control over your reaction to them. Which like get it the fuck together men. You're fine. <laughs> and I also like it's really heteronormative because like only the men respond. It's also it's pretty insulting to men that like not a single one of them like they have to plug their ears and close their eyes so that they don't try to commit suicide to impress some cheerleaders. Which overall is not a good look. Savage move on Bulgaria's part, though. Oh, you know, yeah. I mean, I mean the, that's like a real, that's like getting the crowd on your side. You know, it, that's it the, is, uh, in a super scary way. Also, the, eighth, like, the eighth man or whatever, they would say, in Quidditch. While they're playing the Quidditch game, there is a full-scale riot on the field. Which is <laughs> such a funny part. They're, like, fucking throwing the quaffle around. Meanwhile, like... The Vilas are like ripping little leprechaun limbs off, like with their beaks. It is a bloodbath down there. Hooliganism. No, it's like scarier. It's like if your cheerleaders tried to kill each other. Right. Which is actually an awesome image. Big, I love it when it just totally fucking devolves. That's such great a fun viral part, video. I guess, until it was like a right. snuff yeah. film. No, you're right. Who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero is the Bulgarian prime minister who pulls off a week-long troll of Fudge by pretending not to speak English and making Fudge do all these crazy gesticulations and signing um, because there's not a spell or something you can eat that can just make you learn a foreign language. Oh, yeah. There's no, like, translation spell. Seems like there would... I mean, even Hitchhiker's Guide has, like, the babble fish. Right. So... true. Seems like that is a thing a wizard should work on. But Barty Crouch speaks like 150 languages. Including so. Murish, Mermaidish, whatever. And troll. And troll. Mermish and troll. But they're like, troll is not really a language, you only grunt. Which... So, excellent fun on the Bulgarian prime minister's part. Yeah, uh, and then at the end he's like, guy. well, we fought hard. <laughs> he keeps it in perspective. <laughs> he does, he's great. Mine is um, Hassan Mustafa, who is the Egyptian referee. He has a glorious mustache, which is something I really appreciate in a man. And it's a crazy game. And he really, like, with the short exception of being briefly stymied by the Vilas, and that's even a really funny scene where he's, like, by the sidelines, like, flexing his muscles and, like, just being a fool. (laughs) But other than that short moment, like, he puts up a valiant effort to exert a little bit of control over this bloodbath. I think he's, I mean, he tries real hard and he calls him like he sees him. Yeah. Being a Quidditch referee sounds terrifying. (laughs) That is a genuinely perilous job. And Hassan is noble and sounds hot. You'd think they'd have more than one. It's crazy that they only have one referee. Yeah, I mean. Yes. Also, is he on the ground? How can he see shit? 
No, he's got to be on a wall. He's got to be on a broom. Yeah, but then I guess he does. He land on the field to like yes, perform for I the Velas. So. Okay, mm-hmm. that makes yeah. More sense. He lands on the field. Why is there grass on a? Why is there a Quidditch field anyway? It's played in the air. Because if they fall, which they do. Yeah, I guess you're right. It's like soft. But in that case, they should have like a trampoline. None of this makes any sense. <laughs> Ugh, okay, we're done. Or a net. Just a large a net. net. Yeah, like in the circus. Grass doesn't break your fall from 50 feet. Maybe it's actually... I guess it breaks your fall. Maybe but. it's similar to the circus in that the like genuine peril is kind of part of the act. Like oh, you Clearly, know, everyone when, like, goes to the Quidditch game to see someone get like their shit wrecked by a bludger. Lynch, just like twice barrels into the ground at full speed that guy should be dead there is no reason that dude is alive no, let alone got, like hobbling off he the has, field he has a traumatic brain injury for sure his neck should multiple be multiple concussions how fast do you think they go harry says it's almost impossible to keep up with they're going so fast okay so he barrels into the ground i mean they're playing this game at like i think like what would you say like 60 miles per it hour it seems like it's like 50 or 60 miles per hour yeah that's like a car accident, but no car around you. Like, he is definitely dead. He hits the ground going full speed. Yeah. That guy's neck snaps. There is Ooh. no way he survives that. Bonkers. He needs to see He needs to see a doctor. A chiropractor. Medi-wizards come out and check him out. So but still. Maybe his neck was broken and they, they magicked it back together. Can they bring people back from the dead? So many questions. We gotta, well, we they gotta can't wrap bring people, up. They can't bring people back from the dead. But he but would can... be dead. Like, that would kill him on impact. Ooh, you I would die instantly from that injury. Well, I, Like, that's, imagine uh... you're in a car accident, but there's no car. It's just, like, you and the impact. That's Quidditch for he you. He is dead. That's Quidditch. R.I.P. Lynch, you were a terrible seeker, and <laughs> now you are 100% a dead seeker. Goodbye. This week's episode is brought to you by the Omnioculus Rift, I guess. It's sort of like an Oculus Rift. Augmented reality for Quidditch games, and it costs more than a wand. So, pay I up. think that's just stadium prices. That's stadium prices. It's clearly like a <laughs> giant markup. But, yeah, J.K. Rowling, envisioning augmented reality way before... That's actually true. Yeah. That basically exists now. They're, they're actually working... Steve Ballmer, the owner of, well, the Microsoft, former Microsoft CEO and owner of the Clippers, is working on virtual reality apps f- to watch basketball games where it will, like, display stats and you can see, like, replays and things. So, so. he's working on Omnioculars. Yeah, so the Omnioculars are uh, coming. That's awesome. She's a genius. Do your thing. Rate, review, subscribe, please. I think that's about all I have to say about that. I think we're going to plan on a new live episode fairly soon. In the near so future. Yep. Get those rating and review numbers up so we can do that again. Should we say when we hit like 75 five-star ratings? Sure. Because we're at 66 now. Let's do it. So, yeah, whatever. I guess we're making this promise. We will soon do another live one, and probably we will get around to it when we hit 75 ratings. So do us a solid. Follow us on social, at Quibbler Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, and slash Quibbler Podcast on Facebook. Some of you all are meeting through social media. Quibbler Book Club members are, like, chatting with each other online. Yo, that is, it honestly, like, it makes my heart sing. 
I think that is so nice and I want you all to be friends with each other and I love it. I'm so happy. Quibbler listeners are twinning each other. You guys are the best. I can't believe how the best you guys are. Everybody is so smart and so funny and everybody's nice to each other and it's just this like lovely inclusive group of darlings and I'm very I know. proud of no, you. The, when Heather was, Heather told me, Heather said, she chatted me at work and she was like, our listeners are tweeting at each other, and my first instinct was like, I hope they're not flaming each other. I was like, I was like are they behaving themselves? No, they yes. were being so nice. Being and so nice. They were having a conversation about Peter Pettigrew being the secret keeper yeah. and whether Dumbledore knew about it. And then they were having like this other awesome conversation. I couldn't even follow it. It was like so smart. I was like, these are better insights than we have. Way to go, you guys. You're the best. Tinyletter.com slash quibblerpodcast. That's where you'll find our newsletter. Sign up for E-Owls, bonus quibbles, and extra missives. Yeah, it's good stuff. Next week, we will be reading two more chapters from Goblet of Fire, and they are, ooh, they're scary. We will be reading The Dark Mark and Mayhem at the Ministry. I love her chapter titles. So so much mayhem. If you're reading along, um, that's where you should get up to, and... We will talk to you soon. Thanks, amigos. Muggle women wear them, Archie, not the men. They wear these, said the ministry wizard as he brandished the pinstripe trousers. I'm not putting them on, said old Archie in indignation. I like a healthy breeze around my privates. Thanks.